0: The following is my conversation with Alexandra McRobert, also known as Sober Yoga Girl, a former party girl turned international yoga teacher and sober lifestyle coach. Alexandra moved to Dubai in her 20s and spent her time indulging in bottomless brunches and unlimited drinks. In 2019, she found rock bottom and realized that this was not a life she wanted to live. She took up the 28-day challenge to not drink alcohol that transformed into a permanent lifestyle. While quitting drinking itself was a massive challenge. Once she got through the early days of sobriety she realized that she was so much happier alcohol free. Getting sober alone was rife with its own obstacles. She felt isolated in her journey and found herself seeking community connection and spirituality. Taking control of her life made her feel empowered and Alexandra wanted to paid forward by building a community she was missing and created and founded the Mindful Life Practice while working as a teacher in the UAE. The Mindful Life Practice offered women an international Zoom yoga community around the world who are quitting drinking and transforming their lives. Hi, Alex. So we we I know a little bit about you and your background, about you, you know, going into sobriety, but I wanted to just start off with one thing, and it is what made you go down this path?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So I was a party girl for pretty much my whole life from... Bringing a teenager in Canada to living in Kuwait, traveling around, living in the United Arab Emirates in the brunches and the ladies' nights there. And what made me choose sobriety was hitting a point in 2019 where I just kind of felt like there has to be more to life than this. You know, there has to be more to like hangover the anxiety the um, the things that I was um just dealing with I just felt like there was more for me for my life purpose more for me for um for me to be doing than just kind of like waking up hungover every day
0: but isn't that something that people do in their 20s or is it
1: just uh, me thinking that way I think there are a lot, a lot of people that do this partying in their twenties, but for me, it hit a point where it was just, um, it felt, it honestly felt like my drinking was speeding up over time and not slowing down. Like most people, when they go, when they get older, they slow down, they get more serious. And for me, I started drinking more and more and more the older that I got.
0: Well, it was, were you trying to like escape, run away from something or is it just, uh, was it a coping mechanism is what I mean?
1: Yes, it was a hundred percent. It was a coping mechanism for some mental health issues that I had that were unresolved. But I also think I was trying to run away from my like I had just followed this career path that I felt like was right for me being a school teacher. You know, everyone said to me like, do the safe thing, become a teacher, get a salary. You know, uh, I wanted to be a, a, a yoga teacher and that was not what society expected of me. And I think I was just stuck in this like deep unhappiness with every aspect of my life. I didn't know how to change it. I didn't have the courage to change. And so the easiest thing was just to, to drink, to party.
0: But what were you like, you know, coping from? Like, had you ever try maybe therapy or did that not work for you? Or did you have a good support system around you? Like, you know, your friends, your family, or was it, it was all lacking. So you just went like
1: for it with alcohol. So I was struggling with bipolar disorder, with a mood disorder and, I did do a lot of counseling and a lot of therapy, but I don't think I had the supports for the amount of stress that I was facing in my day-to-day life. And And I say that because the way that my life is now, um, I work online, I get to choose who I work with. I have way less stressors than I did when I was a school teacher. And I feel like when I was living my life, that nine to five, you know, driving to work every day, being in traffic, dealing with, you know, all types of personalities in a school environment, like not just the students, but the parents and my colleagues and just all the amount of like unpredictable stressors. I just didn't have enough coping techniques to deal with all the stressors in my everyday life.
0: Did you see the same pattern in your colleagues in school? So I know you worked with a lot of teachers, like you said, your colleagues. Did they seem to be facing the same problems? Like, OK, you went to alcohol, but like did they have the same stressors as
1: you did? Yes. Yeah. Um. There was a huge, huge party culture in teaching, not just in, you know, I was working in the UAE and it was pretty party central there but it was everywhere I worked like when I was in Kuwait even when I was in Toronto when I was becoming like when I was a student teacher I remember that being a constant thing the teachers were talking about like using alcohol to de-stress so alcohol in general seemed to be the thing um but I know for a lot of people maybe it's not alcohol maybe it's like overeating or you know like a video game addiction or a shopping addiction like people have different plenty of different addictions for like the same thing oh uh, how
0: would someone recognize their addiction so like with alcohol it's pretty straightforward you're drinking more than your body just says gives up and, you know, you're hungover every day and uh, you're you're struggling to cope through the next day as well. Or uh, when you eat a lot or you have other, like some people are even addicted to exercise, like anything, like the dozen is the poison. Like, you know, you can have something as simple as water and you have a lot of water and it can have bad effects on your body. Uh, but there are some addictions that do not have telltale signs. So how would you uh, identify something as like, you know, that is deb-
1: debilitating your life? So I think something becomes an addiction when it's exactly that, when it's causing harm in your life, when it's causing a negative impact on your work, your relationships, even your relationship with yourself. And for each person, it's a really personal thing. And this was a big deal. Like when I wanted to quit drinking, a lot of people said to me, "You know, oh, you're not that bad. You drink just as much as I do." and And that's why I think it's really important to note that every single person gets to decide on their own when something is causing harm for them that they want to quit, then that's enough reason to quit. It doesn't have to be like a rock bottom. It doesn't have to be some extreme thing that happens that makes you want to get sober. It just has to be, you know, this is causing an, a negative impact in my life that I don't want to have anymore.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh,
0: in terms of coming to that path, uh, where was that like the big aha moment where it's like, okay, I'm just sick of it. Because like people go through this grind where they're like, you know what, I'm not happy with my life, but they never actually come to the point where they're like, you know what, I'm going to change this.
1: When was that for you? So, There was a long period of time when I was just seeing on social media, I was actually getting these targeted ads for one sobriety community. And I love pointing that out because I feel like we sometimes, social media gets a really bad rap sometimes for, you know, being addictive and whatever. People are on Facebook and Instagram all the time. But for me, social media was like the catalyst for change because I was seeing all these stories. And then I found this account and I was following it. And What was really big about it was that in my head, up until that moment, I thought that you had to be an alcoholic to want to quit drinking. I thought that you had to be um, someone who has hit rock bottom. And so I was reading all of these stories about people that were just like me, like Mm -hmm. people who were just, you know, there was one guy in particular that stuck out that just described himself as he's like, I'm an, I'm an everyday city guy and I go for drinks with my friends after work every day. And um, I decided to stop. And now this is how I'm healthier. This is how I'm happier. This is how my life is positively transformed. And so I had all these narratives kind of in, um, in my feed and kind of in the background that I was kind of reading and getting inspired by. And then what was really the catalyst for me was I started to have these so I was traveling through this period of time in 2019 and I was in you know Southeast Asia and then I was with my mom in Morocco and what I started to notice was that the trips were no longer fun for me mm-hmm. and the reason why was because I was so fixated and focused on where I would get the next drink when I would get the next drink all the activities had to revolve around drinking and I remember getting to this kind of pivotal moment. It was my 27th birthday and I was like kind of pissed off because there wasn't enough alcohol to drink where we were. We were in this homestay on the top of the Atlas mountains and there was, you know, one bottle of wine. And when the bottle of wine was done, I wasn't drunk. Hmm. And I just remember going to bed and being like, man, like this is this has to stop if this is like the way that I'm feeling about my birthday I'm like mad that I don't have enough wine to drink then like this needs to stop and so for me it was actually only ever going to be a month off of drinking I flew home from uh Casablanca like four days later I flew from Casablanca to Abu Dhabi and I was like okay once I get to Abu Dhabi it's gonna be a month sober and um And that was it, you know, I made it to like, I think I made it to like 20 days sober. And I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. You know, there still were a ton of challenges along the way. It wasn't like smooth sailing, but it was like pretty quickly. Once I got through that first little bit of sobriety, I was like, I don't want to drink anymore.
0: So you're, you're sober yoga girl. So let me go back to yoga
1: girl. What's the story behind that? Yeah. So I was part of this community that helped me quit drinking and in my first year sober. And it was amazing because it, you know, took me, it helped me get to this point where I became, I hit my one year of sobriety. It was incredible. It's like the reason why I got to where I was, but the problem with it was like, first of all, it was, there was no live interaction. It was pretty much just a Facebook group. And then the second thing was that there was no part of like, so there was no live interaction. There was no practice of like spirituality within it. The The community I was part of was just kind of like, the goal was, okay, run a marathon, post about your milestones on Facebook. And, and that was great. And so I kind of hit a point where I realized, you know, something is really missing from this support system that I have. And the first is like, when you go through the sober, this sober period, your life is going to change dramatically. Like you're a lot of your friends, you're no longer going to connect with, you're no longer going to resonate with. And so you need a way to build like-minded community. Hmm. And then I also felt like there's this real deep need for spirituality and sobriety. Like a lot of people are suffering from addiction because they can't see like their purpose they can't find greater meaning they they're just missing something and so it kind of all just sort of wove together and came together it started with me just offering you know some some sober yoga classes and then evolved into this pretty big community now that I run online and so I help women quit drinking through these sober challenges and then we do retreats and yoga teacher trainings and classes and it's pretty amazing
0: what, what would you define as spirituality? Like you said, that, that was a very important thing that helped you like, you know, stay sober and then create that community. How do you define spirituality? Cause it, it's a very ambiguous
1: term depending on who you ask. That's a great question. So it's so funny because when I was, when I was doing my life coach training, I did my life coach training when I was about three months sober. And I remember at the school where I did my training, there was an option to just do a life coach training or a spiritual coach training. And I was like, Oh, like I would never be a spiritual coach. And so I did this life coach thing. And it's so funny because now I would define like my practice and my work as, as so spiritual. Um, I think for each person, it it totally depends on like everyone has a different definition of it. For me, my spirituality has come through yoga philosophy And so I was raised without religious practice. Mm -hmm. I never went to church. I, so I didn't have any kind of like religious text to give me guidance to, to make meaning in my life. And what changed my life was when I came across the yoga sutras and the yoga sutras are, um, a text of there's 196 sutras, which are threads, which are just kind of one line sentences about ways to get to that state of yoga. So the ways to get to that state of contentment and unity with the self and with others. And so for me, my spiritual practice and a lot of what what we do at the Mindful Life practice and in Sober Girls Yoga is the study of the yoga sutras. And that for me is my practice of spirituality. For everyone, it's different. There are people of all religious orientations that that come into my community. And the beauty of the Yoga Sutras is you can kind of take what works for you and take what inspires you and you can add it on to whatever else your, whatever other religious practices you have.
0: There seems to be a re-emergence of spirituality going back to your roots in terms of like, you know, where your principles are and what has been taught in like scripture. Why do you think there is such a, such a rise or why was like uh, this, Disownment of spirituality, and then it's coming back and we're embracing it. Do you see as a community there's this change? And if there is, why do you think that is?
1: Do you mean like globally, like around the world?
0: In your space, in your community itself. Like you said, you were not raised in that with that background, but then now you've embraced it and you've taken it on as something that you, you know, you practice and you actively speak about. And I've seen this. Uh, a common trend maybe I'm completely wrong where people are going back to spirituality be it through religious paths or just finding where what their purpose is so do you see a reason why we are seeking that
1: well there's a quote I think it's Kevin Griffith he says addiction is a misguided spiritual search and I was looking at that today and I mean I know for me I think a big part of my mental health struggles was that spiritual search was that I felt like I had nothing to guide me. I had nothing to turn to when stuff was going wrong in my life. I had nothing to help me get through these challenges and keep going with optimism, with hope. And I think there's a lot of people who traditional... Like, I know I was raised without religious um, background, but I know there's a lot of people in my community who potentially were raised with a religious background, but the religious background that they were raised raised in, they felt was maybe a bit too rigorous or a bit too um, oppressive or a bit too restrictive. And what they have found is that through finding their own kind of spirituality, they can still get that you know that that belief in something bigger than themselves and that um, that hope to get them through struggles without necessarily having to subscribe to the parts of it that they don't agree with does that make sense
0: yeah it makes sense so it, like it's it, basically not completely confining yourself to a text or a practice but finding what makes sense to you like you know you you adapt and you take in what you can
1: yeah absolutely so, how
0: has life has life changed for you now you you don't you don't have a nine to five, but you're more free and what are the drawbacks for this? Because nothing is perfect, and how do you embrace that? and then how has your life changed just overall?
1: Yeah, oh my goodness, my life has completely transformed. I have a moment every day where I'm just like, can't believe that that like Alex, this is your life and these are your problems. Like my <laughs> problems are like, I wish I would, I want to kind of want to live nearer to the beach. <laughs> my wifi isn't great. Like these are the problems of my everyday life now, which is just incredible because, you know, two years ago I was a grade one teacher. I was a teacher for six years. Teaching was amazing because it opened the world to me. I had this amazing opportunity to live in Kuwait and Dubai But now that I run my own business, it means that I have the freedom to literally be wherever I want, whenever I want, which is so wild. So I was, you know, just on the phone with my uncle earlier and I was saying, you know, I think I might come back home at Christmas and, you know, I'm looking at the flight schedule and like, I could go anytime I want, you know? (laughs) And when I was a teacher, I was just so held to like the structure of the school calendar. And I can, I mean, I I work basically seven days a week, but I can do my work from anywhere. So I can decide like, okay, I'm gonna go book a getaway or I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna do that. This summer I was working in, so I was in uh, the West coast of Canada. I was in Mexico, then I was in Ontario, then I was in Dubai and the whole time along I was running my my online sobriety program. So it's just like mind blowing. Um, What are some of the struggles? One thing that I'm really struggling with right now is it's been about a year out of my job, and I feel like, you know, being an international teacher, you have a really built in community of a social network. And that's been the one thing is that I do have all my Zoom friends and, you know, all of my clients who I'm building these close connections with, but it's much harder for me to get out there and make friends in real life. So that's been one of my struggles. And then like the the unpredictability of the business, you know, when it's going well, it's great. Um, but it's me having to let go. And I think now being in a year out of my teaching job, I've been able to like develop this spirituality around it where I can just let go and know that like someday there's gonna be, some days there's gonna be days when sales are like through the roof. Mm-hmm. And then there's days when they're slower. And it's like me get getting being able to get to this happy medium where i'm not like up on the highs and down on the lows you know and just moving forward with um with trusting that it's the right path for me and it's all going to work out
0: with the fact that you know a lot of uh, companies and offices have changed their model to like a lot of uh working online so you're like remotely working anywhere. Do you feel like over a few years it's gonna completely change to your module where you're just traveling and you're working because you have your laptop and things are just getting done. As long as it's getting done, it's fine. Do you feel like that would be the case and then that'd be the normal
1: I definitely see it happening more and more. It's really common. So I'm I'm now in um Bali is where I've been working from majority of the time and there are so many people living nomadically. I think a lot of them are, uh, many are own their own businesses, but many do work for other companies and work remotely. And there's certainly like some amazing parts of, of the flexibility of that. Mm-hmm. Definitely for me as a school teacher, that was one of the, I mean, it was one of the biggest things that I experienced in COVID was when the schools shut down. And I was working from home for the first time in my life. I was like, wow, this is like amazing. <laughs> like I just have so much freedom, so much flexibility. You know, I can spend time with my cat. I can be here. I can be there. And I definitely think for the the jobs where it is possible, it gives people so much freedom and so much Yeah, freedom to structure their own days in a way that's healthy for them and I know it's not possible for every workplace like definitely teachers obviously had to go back to work but um, in the workplaces where it is possible it's it's so beneficial
0: but just it also depends on the employees and their lives like there are some people who have heard that they can't work from home because okay if you have like really young kids then you're not going to be able to concentrate and sit like you have a zoom meeting and then your kids are running around so it, it totally. gets tri- tricky for them as well uh, let's go back to the sober part so this is something i want to talk to you about so how do you continue doing that when you have friends or families who are drinking around you it's like okay this is just culturally allowed i'm sitting at a table everyone's getting drunk like i've had situations where people are sitting around me and they're drinking and then after a certain point I'm like you know what it's fine let me just, let me have a drink just like, you know, level the playing field a bit. How do you navigate that?
1: Yeah, it's so hard. I think the social dynamics are the biggest challenge for most people in sobriety. For me, I had to go into social situations with a plan and certain things that worked for me in particular, like the, I'll give you an example, the first Christmas party uh, at work, and and this was a really stressful thing for me because I used to be like the head of the social committee. Like I was the person planning these events. You know, I was the girl serving the gin and the vodka drinks at the front, the welcome drinks. And, and that had been me literally a year before. And then a year later, I was going to the, the exact same Christmas party, the exact same venue, but I was going sober. So the one thing I actually did was I ended up deciding to book to get my hair done. Hmm. And the hair appointment meant that I was late for the party. And being late for the party is massively helpful for me. Even if I'm an hour an hour late or whatever it was, everyone had already actually gotten their dinner and eaten their dinner. And I was rocking up. But the great thing about that for me is that I miss the nervous energy of the beginning. And that's what's so stressful for me is I feel like I pick up on people's energy And I can pick up that people are feeling anxious until Mm. they have the drink in their system. But once people have gotten through their first drink, their second drink, they're all cool. Mm. And then I feel like I can just settle in and be completely fine with myself sober. So in those scenarios where it's like a heavy drinking night, I always like to go a little bit late and I specifically plan something so that I'm going to end up being late. And I also find it easier to kind of look around and see what's going on and then just have a sense of like gratitude of like, I'm glad that I'm not, you know, saying those things, making a fool of myself on the microphone, you know? And so I find that for me, that helps a lot. Also finding out if you can be at a venue where there is an alcohol-free option. So my first wedding was my sister's wedding actually, which was really great because I was able to pick up a case of alcohol-free beers and just have them behind the bar for myself. Hmm. So if you are able to plan events or be somewhere where there is an option that's going to help you feel comfortable, I would encourage that. And also what has worked for me is just being really honest with people because... If you don't honestly tell people, you know, this is what's going on with me. This is why I'm choosing sobriety. Sometimes they can end up really pressuring you. And yeah. often that pressure is pretty much a reflection of their own uh, their own feelings around the need for alcohol or the role that alcohol plays in their life. But if you're honest and upfront with people and say, look, I'm not drinking because it really impacts my mental health, I find that people just back off and support you right away. But it's when you're like, when you have the excuses like oh I'm driving or oh whatever then people feel like they can pressure you because they don't really understand where you're coming from so if you do feel confident speaking honestly and openly I've found that that's always helped me.
0: Why do you think that society is like set up in such a way that most uh, community interactions goes along with like you know a drink or two Why has it changed so much? Like, I'm sure back in the day it wasn't the case. Now it's just such a norm. And do you feel like this will change anytime soon?
1: I do feel that it's changing. I feel that there's this sober movement happening. I think society became so fixated on alcohol because it just became like a, I don't know, like a marketing thing where it just became you know alcohol companies were marketing alcohol as being paired with all social occasions it just became this normalized thing and then once it once you have this association of like you know adulthood is with a drink in my hand or you know weddings funerals holidays like all of these include alcohol once you have that association it becomes really difficult to break and so for me it was just like a normalized part of hmm you know, adulthood from, from when I was a teenager onward, but I do think that alcohol is going to have a cigarette moment very soon. So there was the same thing with cigarettes for a long time. And, you know, when my, so my grandfather was, um, when I was young, he would smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. He'd been smoking two packs of cigarettes since he was 14. He smoked until he was 80. And by the time that I was, you know, a four-year-old, it was in the 1990s, I remember going up to him one day and being like, oh my God, granddad, you're smoking. But the thing is, when he was a teenager, kids would not even bat an eye about him smoking a cigarette, right? That was completely normal. Everyone smoked when he was young. And so I believe that alcohol is on the path to having this exact same shift, And there's a lot of sober influencers. There's like this huge rise coming up on sober Instagram. And a lot of studies are starting to come out that are showing that alcohol isn't good for you at all, right? So we have all these myths, like the red wine myth. We think that red wine is good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually, there's like no scientific evidence at all that it's good for you. And, And so these studies are starting to come to the forefront. You know, the World Health Organization said that any bit of alcohol is is carcinogenic, it can cause cancer. And so these studies are starting to come up. And I think, I do like to believe that by the time I have children, I think by the time my kids are 10, 15 years old, they are not going to be in the same types of environment around alcohol that I was
0: do you think the addiction pattern is going to be replaced with uh, social media? Cause I feel like that's the new addiction where everyone's on their phone, their dopamine, dopamine hits are on their phone. Uh, do you think that that would change? And then maybe the paradigm for like sobriety would be 10 days off uh, social media. Do you think that would
1: be the case? Pro- probably, probably that's going to be the new thing. That's um but I, it seems to be like trending in retreats right now is like the digital detox, the silent retreats. So yeah, maybe that will be, maybe that will be the addiction issue of, of my kids' generation. I'm sure. How do you
0: feel like, cause the thing is now indoctrinating younger kids is easier than like with, if it was was with cigarettes or alcohol, uh, they also, uh, my side question would be, uh, you've seen this in Europe, like European countries, alcohol is not so like, you know, taboo as much. So kids will have a glass of wine with their meal, with their parents. And it's not such a thing that, you know, I must have it when I can. Uh, would it be the same with the, like, let's say social media, you give them, you know, access for a bit and then like take it away. So it's not this thing
1: which I need to seek. yeah. I don't know. That's, that's a really good question. Cause there's so many different ways of, um, of navigating it and, and managing it. And I true, I don't know what's best around social media in terms of like, I, I would say probably myself, that I'm a bit addicted
0: to social media.
1: <laughs> and so I'm not sure what would be the, the best way. Cause I definitely think there's a benefit to not having it at all, but probably a benefit to learning how to use it mindfully. Because, you know, as I was saying earlier, like social media can be incredible, if mm. it, you know, it it it's one of the reasons I, I became sober. So I definitely think there's a value for it in our lives. But when it starts to impede our functioning, then that's time to to let it go
0: what is it about the human biology that makes us addicted to things to cope with whatever we're working with? Like you said, you, uh, in the beginning of this interview that you had, you use alcohol as a coping mechanism. Now the younger generation is using social media or some sort of addiction. What is that about our biology that makes us go to like pleasure seeking mode to find that space where we can just like decompress? Yeah, it's a great
1: question. So Something that I really love is this concept from yoga that pretty much addiction is on this spectrum of desire and aversion. And we as human beings are constantly operating in this sense of like the things we desire and the things we want to avoid. So we want to avoid tough conversations. We want to avoid tough emotions. We want to avoid challenges. On the other hand, we desire totally checking out, we desire letting go, we desire feeling what we perceive as like pleasure or joy. And so one of the skill sets that we're learning from yoga is how to sit with discomfort, how to sit with these challenges, how to avoid those feelings of desire and just stay in the middle ground. And I think for so many of us, we don't have those skills to avoid those cravings for desire or those those things that we want to avoid. And so we as human beings are constantly like these are these were identified by Pantanjali as the kleshas, the obstacles, the veils. And through our yoga practice, we're constantly trying to overcome them and release them and and come back to that state of equilibrium.
0: I know we have to uh, wrap up because you have another meeting. Is there something that you want to like a message that you want to send to anyone and saying that, you know, if they are going through addiction and they need to snap out of it, what is that thing which would help them and which helped you over your.
1: I would say that the first thing is to just have the courage to try and have the courage to change and just getting to that day 1 because someone said to me once that the person that they want to thank is the person that they were on day 1 and i love that that idea because that's the most courageous version of you right that's the person that had the courage to shift and the courage to change and every single day just builds momentum from there so if you are really feeling like something needs to change in your life You just need to get the courage to get day one, you know, Hmm. and then day two, and then day three, and then it just builds on from there. But just having the courage to start, and then from there, I would encourage you to try everything. And what I mean by that is, like, at the point when I was first trying sobriety, I didn't really have very limited resources because I had these beliefs that, you know, I, I thought that's science and logic, and I didn't have this spiritual background. And as soon as I started opening up myself to everything and anything, you know, my psychic, my hypnotherapist, my Reiki healer, um, tarot cards, like I literally, anytime someone comes, something comes into my way, I just try to be open to it and receive it. And it might work, it might not, but just kind of be open to any resources, any community, any books, any podcasts, any type of healing, and just take on what works and then just leave behind what doesn't work because there's so many different pathways to recovery.
0: Where can people find you and find resources that would help them? Like, Because I know you've built your own community for sobriety and then also for yoga. So if I am, for example, looking for help, where can I get that from?
1: Yes. So the mindful life practice.com. This is my online community. And the biggest thing that we do is these 30 day sober girls yoga challenges, which can extend all the way up to 30 days, 60 days, 108 days, and then a full year. And so this is kind of the kickstarting sobriety program. I also work one on one with people so if you really feel like you need that extra guidance that extra accountability that extra support i do one-on-one work as well and you can find me on instagram at alex mcgrobs and then i have a podcast called sober yoga girl podcast
0: perfect thank you so much for taking the time to
1: speak to me thank you so much neha